Welcome to the Storytime Clinic, where children's books and health collide. I am your host, Dr. Mfon Omarin, and every week I spotlight a children's book featuring a character with a health condition. My goal is to inspire conversations that will help all of us better understand and support kids with health conditions. Well, hello. Welcome back to the Storytime Clinic. I'm sure you're wondering, what is going down today, Dr. Warren? Well, today we are digging into the topic of transitions. And in the pediatric world, no transition is anticipated more than that precious time between childhood and adulthood. Oh, adolescence. Let's be real. This can be tough as a parent. On the one hand, there's the joy and the satisfaction of having nurtured your little person into a full-fledged, independent individual capable of handling the world on their own. On the other hand, there's the panic and anxiety of, that's still my little person. Are they really a full-fledged individual, independent and capable of handling the world on their own? (laughs) It's a question sometimes. So there is a delicate balance between having full control of the reins and handing them over to your child. And, you know, this happens slowly and gradually over time. And it's a time of lots of adjustment for both parents and child. Well, when you are the parents of a child with a chronic health condition, Sometimes this transition takes on a new significance. For some parents, so much of their life has been wrapped up in managing their child's health and making decisions for that child that this is a period of great anxiety when their child is all of a sudden doing it on their own. And for other parents, the nature of the child's illness may not really allow them to fully hand over the reins in the same way as they would for their healthy children. However, one thing that is almost certain is that your child's understanding and feelings about their illness definitely change and evolve as they grow up. This week's book, Five Feet Apart, is about a lot of things, but Most notably for me, it brings to life the perspectives of children with serious medical conditions on the brink of that transition to adulthood. This is a book that was written by Rachel Lippincott, but interestingly, it was actually a screenplay first that was written for the development of a movie by the same name, Five Feet Apart. And the book is a hospital romance. Is that is that a genre? I'm going to make that up today. It's it's a hospital romance. Um it's a young adult romance really featuring two teenagers with cystic fibrosis, Stella and Will. Those are the main characters. And they meet when they're hospitalized at the same time for infections related to their disease. And guess what? They end up falling in love. It's not a spoiler. I told you it was a romance, so it's fine. Okay, well, before we go there, let's talk about cystic fibrosis a little bit. So what is that? Well, CF, we're going to shorten it to make life easy for me because I have stumbled over this word many times already during this recording. (laughs) So 
CF is a genetic disease. What does that mean? Meaning that it is usually inherited. It's passed down from parents who are carriers to their child. And cystic fibrosis causes thick mucus to build up in different areas of the body. And this is really what causes the problems. The organ that's most affected is the lungs. When mucus builds up in the lungs, it makes it hard for them to work properly, to get in oxygen the way they're supposed to. And that mucus sits there and becomes a place where infections can thrive. And so people with cystic fibrosis have a very high risk for having pneumonias, uh, so lung infections, sinus infections, and so on. This mucus also is a problem in the pancreas. The pancreas is an organ that usually helps us digest food. This organ becomes blocked up in people with cystic fibrosis, and so they can't absorb their food properly, and this can lead to malnutrition. Now, there are actually several different mutations that can cause cystic fibrosis, and so the clinical picture is not the same for every person, meaning that some people may have symptoms that are very severe and other people may be less affected. So what does treatment for cystic fibrosis look like? One of the most important things is keeping the lungs healthy keeping the lungs healthy and functioning well. So people with cystic fibrosis, unfortunately, the average life expectancy is in the mid 40s, which is actually much better than it was a few decades ago. But this still means that people with cystic fibrosis may live shorter lives than their peers. And one of the main reasons for this is the damage that happens to their lungs over time. So it becomes really important to have a regimen that will help keep the lungs as healthy as possible. One of the things is getting rid of that mucus so that it doesn't give a place for infections to form. And sometimes this is done with a vest that can actually cause some vibrations and shake out some of the mucus so it's easier to cough up. And there are other kinds of breathing treatments as well that can help get that mucus out. And these are treatments that people with cystic fibrosis have to do every day, sometimes a couple of times a day. Another thing is treating infections as soon as they happen. So they might need to be admitted to the hospital for a course of antibiotics. Sometimes they might need to take antibiotics to prevent infections from happening. Another really important thing is because they have frequent infections, they might end up carrying bacteria that are resistant to antibiotics and very difficult to treat. So the advice that has been given to the CF community is to try and stay at least six feet or so apart from another person with cystic fibrosis. Six feet apart. Does that sound familiar? People with CF have been doing this long before coronavirus was a thing. <laughs> but wearing masks if they do happen to be around each other um, and again, keeping that distance helps to protect themselves against contracting these super bacteria that are very difficult to treat. And the writers of this book take this fact and run with it. And this is basically the premise of this romance between two teenagers with cystic fibrosis. They love each other, but they can't be together. Oh, the tragedy. 
In all honesty, this is very difficult, I could imagine, because the people who might understand what a person with cystic fibrosis is going through the most would be another person with cystic fibrosis. And so it's hard not to be able to uh, spend time in community with these people. But what has happened instead is that a lot of people with cystic fibrosis who are seeking a community uh, have a very strong online presence, and this is where their support system can be found. As I mentioned earlier, children with cystic fibrosis can have problems with digesting food. And so we can actually give supplements that will help with the digestion. And we can also give supplemental vitamins and all these things can help them grow better. Some people with cystic fibrosis will have the option of getting a lung transplant, and this can really help with the quality of life by relieving some of the breathing issues, at least for a time period. In addition, there are some other new genetic treatments that are just kind of coming onto the market, and I think these will be particularly helpful for patients with cystic fibrosis. Children with cystic fibrosis Uh, have to go for very regular checkups with specialist doctors, and they might spend a lot of time in the hospitals because of having to be treated for various infections. So as our book Five Feet Apart opens, the main character Stella is getting admitted for antibiotics. And you can see how familiar she is with the hospital. It's almost like a second home to her because she's been coming there since she was six. Uh, she knows the nurses, the doctor who's been taking care of her through the years, uh, has a best friend and another cystic fibrosis patient there that she has spent many hospital stays with. And so, again, it's almost like a little family that she has formed away from home and that in a way is part of her support system. And on this admission, Stella runs into a new cystic fibrosis patient. This is another teenager, it's Will, who is getting experimental treatment to get rid of a very dangerous bacteria. And when we meet him, he is two weeks away from his 18th birthday. And to Will, he is done with hospital treatments. He says, two more weeks until I'm in charge. I'll be off this latest drug trial and out of this hospital and I can do something with my life instead of letting my mom waste it. So this statement perfectly sums up the kind of tension that can arise when a child with a chronic health condition is approaching this transition point. In the United States, once you reach 18 years, you are a legal adult and you're responsible for making your own decisions about your health, unless for some reason you are not capable and if you have chosen another person to do this for you instead. As a parent of a child with a chronic health condition, you may be very accustomed to doing everything for your child's health management. And you may have been very hands-on through the years, but Once your child turns 18, that's no longer your automatic right. So you don't have access to their medical records anymore. You may have been used to being in the clinic room or the hospital room and hearing information firsthand from the doctors. But if your child does not want you to be there, you no longer have that kind of access. And of course, many children are still very happy to have that additional support from their parents and will still keep them involved. But others may choose not to. And this can be a difficult scenario to adjust to. All the same, it's really important to be able to prepare your child for independence in this area. 
You want them to, as early as 12 or 14 years, start being the ones who have the conversations with the doctors to the extent that they're able to. So knowing a bit about their medical history, uh, starting to be responsible for their medications, knowing the schedules, knowing if they are running out and need refills, knowing how to take those on their own, knowing how to book appointments with the doctors and keep track of those. Knowing a little bit about making an emergency plan for their illness. And, you know, some of these skills are more appropriate for the older adolescents, but these are things that they are going to have to do on their own once they get older. And if they are going away to school or to college, they will be the ones primarily managing all these things. And so it's good to set a foundation early. So that is a bit of the practical aspect of this transition. When we talk more about the psychological and emotional aspect, one thing to come to terms with is that as a parent, of course you want the best for your child, but your version of best may not match their own. As an example, Will's mother in the book was focused on getting him to all the latest treatment centers enrolled in all the new research trials, trying to find a cure, something to beat the cystic fibrosis. And there's nothing at all wrong with this. Parents are such powerful advocates for their kids in the healthcare space, and we need that. However, as much as they're involved, they are not living the actual experience of the disease. Will was the one undergoing the procedures, receiving new treatments, missing out on school time, missing out on friendships. He was the one who, at the end of the day, had a terminal illness. He had gone to all these hospitals all over the world and had experienced repeated disappointment with previous medical treatments. And this caused him to have a really hard time having hope for any new medical treatments that he was signed up for. And so his view was that the treatments and the hospitalizations were taking away from any quality of life he could have had. And the things that he really wanted to be doing were outside the hospital walls. And you can see him kind of rebelling a little bit because of this perspective that he has. So he doesn't take his medications as he really should. He doesn't do his vest treatments to clear that mucus out of his lungs in the way that he should. Then almost the opposite to him, you have Stella, who sees her regimen and her treatment as the only way that she'll get to fight and live and do the things she wants to do. And she follows that regimen to a T. So obviously your child's perspective about their illness will likely influence how compliant they are with their treatment regimen. So there's kind of a spectrum when it comes to the ways that people react to their circumstances and to their medical illness. Somewhere between the defeatist negative thinking and an overly optimistic Pollyanna, there's what I like to call a positive realist. That's someone who understands the real implications and challenges that come with an illness, but still chooses to maintain a positive and resilient attitude in terms of handling the difficulties that come. Children are very much so influenced by the attitude 
that their parents have. And so this is a little bit of what you want to model for them as you talk with them about their illness. As much as having a positive and encouraging environment is important, and this helps them build resilience and coping skills, you also want to make sure that you are creating an environment where children can share the difficult things, the negative emotions when they do feel defeated. It is important to be able to listen to them in that aspect as well. Sometimes children may put on a fake positive exterior when internally they have a lot of fears and worries about their situation. So as a parent, you have to be aware of that and uh, give them an outlet to express these feelings. These can be very difficult conversations to have, particularly if you're talking about very sensitive and painful issues such as death and dying, but they are necessary conversations nonetheless. So you want to know what is important to them in life. What does quality of life mean to them? What do they want their life to look like and feel like? What are their fears? What are their worries? And let them know that you are there for them regardless of the circumstance and regardless of the decisions that they make. Having a terminal illness can be very emotionally overwhelming and frustrating. And it's not unexpected that once in a while, a child may experience uh, negative emotions, but sometimes it's a little bit deeper than that. Sometimes it becomes depression or an anxiety. Children with chronic health conditions are more prone to having uh, mental health problems. So it's really, really important to be able to create a good support system around them. Even as you are keeping your ears open for them, Understand that at this age, teenagers may be more interested in opening up with their friends and may be more comfortable with having these conversations with friends about different circumstances. So trying to encourage your kids as much as possible to maintain uh, close friendships uh, where possible. Acknowledging that at a certain point, a psychologist might need to be involved and might be beneficial. Sometimes a child might even hold back how they're feeling because they don't want to make their parents feel sad. So in the book, we see several instances of Stella trying to shield her parents from how severe her illness was at the time because she didn't want them to worry. And she had almost this pressure on her to stay healthy and alive, not for herself, but for her parents because she felt like they would fall apart without her. So as kids get older, they actually get more attuned to picking up how their disease affects their parents. And sometimes this might even translate into feeling guilty about the stress that they're causing to the family. It could be emotional, it could be financial, it could be seeing, um, you know, the time taken off work or the time taken away, quote unquote, from their siblings while their parents focus on them. Sometimes there's an aspect of, of guilt that goes along with that. And in the book, there's there's a quote that Stella says, she says, I think most people with a terminal illness have struggled with this, with feeling like a burden. I know I felt like that with my parents more times than I can count. And so this is, again, one of the things that 
may not be voiced, but that may be very difficult for your child to voice. Um, sometimes, sometimes it is helpful to And sometimes it's helpful to ask a leading question. For example, you could say, some children with health conditions like you have worry that they might be causing difficulties for their families and sometimes they can feel like a burden to the family. Have you ever felt this way? And that way they have not brought it up themselves, but they see a statement that they are able to identify with if that's the case for them. And then this can lead to opening up a deeper conversation about what they're feeling inside. Adolescence is also a time when some children are first starting to explore romantic relationships. Um, again, the premise of the book. And the issue of feeling like a burden is also at play when thinking about relationships. One of the other characters in the book really captures this feeling well. He says, you know what someone gets for loving me? They get to help me pay for all my care, and then they watch me die. How is that fair to anyone? A deductible, medications, hospital stays, surgeries. Should that be his problem, or should that be my family's problem? It's my sickness, Stella. It's my problem. What ends up happening is that this feeling manifests into a lack of commitment or an unwillingness to get too close to somebody because of this fear of being a burden. For other people, it might be the fear of not being able to find a partner who is understanding of the challenges of the disease and is ready to be supportive. Especially in adolescence, that level of maturity just sometimes is not quite there, you know, to deal with somebody else's significant medical condition and the emotional and psychological needs that go along with that. On top of that, there might be some self-esteem issues or body issues if a child has gone through a lot of surgeries, for example, or procedures that make them look different in some way than their peers. So Stella had a G-tube, that's a feeding tube that goes through her stomach and is visible on the outside. That was to help her get enough nutrition. And that might be something that could make her self-conscious. For those who successfully get into a relationship, they might have to have some difficult conversations around fertility. Almost all men with cystic fibrosis are infertile. However, with medical assistance, it is still possible for them to father their own children. It is just a conversation that has to be had with a partner. Women likewise have some changes that can affect their ability to get pregnant, but a lot of them who try will be able to get pregnant. So, of course, this is an aspect of the disease that would have meant nothing for a five-year-old or maybe even a 12-year-old. But once a child is getting older, getting into the relationship stage, maybe seeing older family members and friends have children, this uh, loss might hit home a little bit differently. So there are really a lot, a lot of things that may be going on internally as a chronically ill child approaches adulthood. 
However, there is also a certain strength and maturity that comes from having dealt with such challenges at such a young age. At this age, it can be a great sense of support and also very empowering to become involved in the disease community and active in advocacy. For example, Stella in the book has a YouTube channel that she's been running since she was young to help raise awareness about her journey with CF. And in fact, the movie version of Five Feet Apart was inspired by Claire Weinman. This was a young girl with cystic fibrosis who did a lot of um, advocacy and speaking and spreading awareness about cystic fibrosis through her YouTube channel. Unfortunately, she passed away when she was 21 after complications of a lung transplant. But if you want to hear an excellent podcast interview with her mother, the episode is called Five Feet Apart and the Story That Inspired It. And it's on the Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast. I will post a link to that in the show notes if you guys want to check that out. Now, naturally, I have cherry picked certain areas from this book to talk about. There is a lot of the story that I have not shared because I want you guys to go read it on your own. I don't want to share all the spoilers. Um, I have not seen the movie yet. I'm hoping to watch that this weekend. But overall, with the story, I think the fact that it explores some of these more difficult conversations in such depth and really shares the perspective from an adolescent's point of view. I thought that this is really what made this book worth reading for me. So I hope you guys get a chance to pick it up and check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, that's a wrap. For the show notes and links to the books I cover in this episode, please head over to the podcast website at www.storytimeclinic. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share this podcast with other people who may be interested. I'd also love to hear from you if you have book suggestions or health topics you'd like to see me cover. If you want to give me some feedback and help me make this podcast more valuable for you, you can leave a review on iTunes or send me an email at thestorytimeclinic at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and I will see you in the next episode.